There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Rarely going where no one has gone before. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Redshirt Dave. I'm Sean Fangirl S. I just got demoted to Ensign again. But today we'll be discussing Episode 3 of Season 2 of Star Trek Lower Deck. Wow. Here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Initial reactions. Sean. I like this one. I was cracking up. I love the fact that just in general that Lower Decks is something that even if you were never into Star Trek, you can watch and crack up. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I had to explain some stuff because my husband never really watched Star Trek a couple times, an episode here or there. So I had to explain it, like who Paris is, for example. (laughs) How is he married, that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Yin and yang. Okay, I can get the super nerdy stuff and, you know, he balances me out with the hockey stuff, you know. But it was just so fun. And the fact that it was just so out there. And of course, girls trip. I loved it. Don't forget to dangle your fingers when yeah. <laughs> you say that. I did. I told All them, right. Trip. That's what we do, Dave. Did you not know that? It's like an girls? inside girl thing. Yeah, it yep. just happens that way. Nope, I'm kind of glad I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Dave? Well, yeah, I liked it too. I like all the Easter eggs and Star Trek stuff and the silliness of it all. I liked it so much. If we were rating it, which we're not, I was going to give it four out of five horny great grandmas. <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was a great episode. It was amazing to see Mariner and Tindy go on a, (laughs) I can't really call it a mission, but it was an adventure. (laughs) I'll say. And Boimler not having (laughs) the ship recognize that he's back. That was amazing. That was cracking me up. Yeah. And Rutherford going through. How is Shaq's back? Oh my gosh, I kept saying that too. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like I don't understand. So yeah, and this one was full of Easter eggs, which we will get to after a recap, Dave. Recap. Is that my new name? Recap, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm just buying for time. La 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 la. Anyway, we'll always have Tom Paris, which is a pre-boomer callback. And yes, I'm going to stick that in in there because that, that's a uh, a famous line between in the movie Casablanca between Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman, also known as Rick Blaine and Ilsa Lund, as we'll always have Paris. And of course, we'll always have Tom Paris, and I miss him too. How's that for pre-boomer talk, Steve? Yes, I like yes. it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mariner and Tendi team up for a mission to retrieve an heirloom 
for Dr. Ta'ana. Meanwhile, the Cerritos is visited by Lieutenant Tom Paris, fist pump, much to the excitement of Boimler, who is hoping to meet him. While all this happens, Rutherford is haunted by the mystery surrounding the reappearance of a familiar presence on the Cerritos. Which was that awesome. was definitely weird, and I one of you guys mentioned that last week. Yeah, because I mean, you're like his name was still in the credit. Yeah, first two well, episodes he, still had Fred Tassator's name in, and I was going, "Why? What's happening here?" <laughs> he did do voice work for each of the episodes, just not a shack. He was yeah. just voice. Yes. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been shown as prominently as it was if he was just a part-time voice actor. So. There had to be something fishy going on, and <laughs> we found out what it was this week. <laughs> now we know. Oh, the craziness ensues on the Cerritos. We have Ransom welcoming Boimler back to the Cerritos. He was actually quite nice, which is kind of Unusual. making me look side-eyed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he informs Boimler that since his departure, we've had to tighten up security measures across the ship. And if you have any issues, report them. <laughs> To Lieutenant Billup. Oh, great. I'm sure there'll be no problems, right? As soon as he said that, you know that there was going to be problems. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but Boimler thanks him and gets in line to use the mess hall replicator, ordering some hot pupusa. I don't know what that is, but I didn't want to know either. No. <laughs> the replicator, however, does not recognize Boimler and does not give him any food, which well. I thought was kind of weird because it's like they've had visitors that they don't program in. Why would they not just give them food? Yeah. Hmm. Like, I can understand some other stuff, but Q-Kit, no food, man. <laughs> we have two puppies in our household, so when we come downstairs in the morning, I, I can tell you what a hot papusa looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Boimler unsuccessfully tries to have any food because he's so hungry. Give it to him, <laughs> and the line behind him grows pretty impatient. Yeah, we get Jennifer again. And now I know why Mariner doesn't like her, because she's not a nice person. <laughs> she's yeah. screaming at Boimler. She's hungry, too. Yeah, apparently. Well, we also have the nearby table where Tendy's rushing through her meal like she was shoveling that in. <laughs> when Rutherford asks her why, Tendy replies that she wants to get a head start on her shift, and Rutherford realizes that the recent promotion of Ensign Escher is bugging the crap out of Tendy. Oh, yeah. Tendy complains that she does more work than Asher, and I should have been promoted. Rutherford's like, Asher just got lucky after curing Captain Freeman's Torellian death syndrome. Yeah, I mean, no big deal. Right place, right time. Yep. <laughs> just like, wait, did we see that? Because I want to know what the hell that is. Yeah. <laughs> that Mariner joined in that three months that... <laughs> Yeah, that we didn't have anything. Right. Well, that explains the white stripe in her hair. Yep. Mariner joins Rutherford as Tendi leaves to start her shift, and Rutherford's attention is suddenly taken away when he hears a familiar voice. I will tell you, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, the second he heard that, and Shax is standing at the replicator getting a hot dog. Doesn't okay. he know what hot dogs are shortening your life? <laughs> <laughs> Rutherford is shocked that Shax is alive. And what the heck? I don't understand. Because he saved me from the pack lids. And Mariner's like, uh-huh. Just like basically <laughs> blowing him off. Like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, whatever. And Rutherford knows his memory isn't fully restored, but he explicitly remembers Shax saving his life and asks, are we going to find out how he survived? Yeah, I love that Mariner's like, yeah, it's best not to think about it. The bridge crew always survives. They don't tell us everything. <laughs> like, what? And I kept thinking then, are they going to tell us how he did it? As the two leave the mess hall, they walk past Boimler, who is still struggling with the replicator. He begs the replicator to give him anything, because, again, he's so hungry, and he kicks the replicator. 
And he gets a bonsai tree, which Boimler looks at annoyed, but kind of shrugs, and he takes the bonsai tree and leaves. You gonna eat the bonsai tree? What the heck is happening? Hope not. No. Yeah, that would probably give him quite a bellyache. <laughs> so in the sick bay, Tendi is wiping down the tables when Dr. Tiana calls her in her office. Tiana is visibly agitated and aggressively scratching herself and tells Tendi <laughs> that she needs her to pick up a family heirloom from a storage unit on Quailar 2. I thought it was going to be like flea medication. <laughs> <laughs> Tendi is honored to be chosen for this request, but Tiana says she just needs the lowest ranking officer who will ask the fewest questions. <laughs> oh, that hurts. I'm sure there's a compliment in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> a little backhanded compliment, yeah. I guess. She tells her this request is personal to do it fast and keep it private. Tendi leaves as Tiana's agitation seemingly grows. This is not good. <laughs> in the repair blade, Boimler, who's still having trouble with the security measures, excitedly talks to Mariner and Rutherford that he will be meeting Lieutenant Tom Paris as he's visiting the Cerritos for morale. What are the Indian morale booze for? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, Who oh, maybe it was Paris needed the morale booze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good be. Yeah, the funniest ship in the Federation. Yeah. That would have been Neelix for morale, not Paris. Yeah. <laughs> He's hoping he will sign a collectible plate that he has, noting that he has autographs of the other officers of the USS Voyager and mentions that he overheard about his visit from Shaxx. Rutherford is still uneasy that Shax is back with no explanation and decides he will go asking. That probably won't go well. Boimler warns him that bridge crew don't like it when people ask how they came back from the dead, but Rutherford is determined to find out. As Rutherford and Boimler leave the repair bay, Tindy enters and tells Mariner of her mission and invites Mariner to come along, since the two of them have never had a mission together. True that. Excited at the prospect, Mariner happily accepts. And we see Boimler heading for a turbo lift, but of course the door still won't open for him. He tries <laughs> to override, but is unsuccessful. Seeing his struggle, Ensign Jet Manhaver offers his assistance, but Boimler declines. Hard hit. Okay, come on. The way he said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unable to get into the turbo lift, he enters the Jeffrey tubes and begins to climb to the bridge. What did he say? 200 and... 200, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's only 200. Seemed like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. Nothing can go wrong in the Jeffrey tubes. Yeah, like we've seen that happen. Mariner right. and Tendi arrive at Quailar 2, and Mariner notes how exciting the planet is, saying that one could get any drink in the form of a slushy. I was that's, down with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's kind of like New Orleans. Yes, just a little bit. Tendi, remembering how insistent Tiana was about getting their heirloom fast, replies that they should probably focus on getting that, but Mariner convinces her that it can wait a little bit. When they do get to the storage unit, Acacian is a bit confused at the request since the storage units have not been accessed for years, though Tendi shows him her authorization. Tendi recognizes the music the Cation is listening to as Giltah, a Klingon acid punk rock band, and Mariner is surprised she's into such music, though Tendi notes how she talks to Rutherford constantly. Cation returns with a large box. They get it onto the Yosemite, and Mariner is curious to what's in the box and <laughs> convinces Tendi to open it up. Girl, 
Little peek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a small peek won't hurt. And when they open up the box, it reveals a Cation libido post. Oh, no. And Tendy notes how Cetaceans have to be intimate once a year or their hormones will drive them crazy. Sounds familiar. Doesn't it? And the two have a small laugh over it before they realize that it's probably not the cleanest thing to be <laughs> touching. <laughs> and rush to try and put it back in the box, but in their rush, they accidentally drop it and the head breaks off, much to Tendy's horror. Okay, at this point, I'd have been like, Put it back in the box, close it up. We'll blame it on the storage guy. <laughs> right. That really. But what did she call him? She's like, I'm Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> She's like making up the names. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. That's why you don't bring Beckett Mariner on a trip with yes. you. Yes. <laughs> Least disciplined person in Starfleet. Yeah, I was so surprised that Mariner wanted to check stuff out and do stuff that was not regulation. Yeah. And- yeah. Mortified at the damage of the post, Tendi believes she'll be fired, but Mariner tells her that she knows a way that she can have it repaired, noting that a time when she ran over Warp's Mechleth when she served on Deep Space Nine and had it fixed before he even knew it was gone. <laughs> Tendi is surprised she even served on Deep Space Nine, having always assumed that the Cerritos was on her, the first ship she served on. What? Yeah. <laughs> Mariner says she knows someone on Bonestell who can fix anything, and then there'll be a little more than a quick diversion before they head back to the Cerrito. Back on the Cerrito, Shax enters engineering and approaches Billups to invite him to a match of racquetball after the, the Tom Paris event. Billups asks him if he's up for that. Aw, and Shax is enthusiastic about it. Rutherford approaches them, readying himself to ask how Shax survived when a junior-grade lieutenant named Cody beats Rutherford to the question, asking how Shax came back to life after his death. The question shocks all of engineering, visibly disturbs Shax. Philip scolds Cody for the question, ordering him to his supervisor for reassignment. Dang. Yeah, that's a little harsh. Wow, yeah. Cody uh, tries to apologize, but a, a crying Shax tells him to go. Just go. Seeing his reaction, Rutherford decides to drop the subject. Way to go, buddy. Yes. Mariner intending go to Starbase Earhart, Bailey Earhart, and get in touch with Mariner's contact, who uh, says he can repair the damage to the post. But it'll cost him 50 strips of latinum. Mariner agrees, but tending notes they don't, they can't afford that. Mariner enters a game of dumb jot with a group of Nostikins. Ah, oh, I should have looked up nasal passages before that. <laughs> to win the money. But as this game progresses, the Nostikins are accused her of cheating. Since she claims she was only a beginner. Oh, she kind of shot herself in the foot on that one. Mariner has Tendi take a shot at the Nosikins, bless you, believe that Tendi will use her pheromones to cheat them, which Tendi takes issue with. Nervous. Tendi begins to take the shot, though one of the Nosikins tries to attack her. Mariner intervenes, and an attack causes Tendi to make a lucky shot, which wins the game. That's funny. Enraged, the Nosikins, it's funny how they do things. She can line up the shot, and meanwhile, a Beckins being like a ninja right behind her. Yes. <laughs> Enraged, the Nosikins refused to pay the winnings and shattered the head of the libido post, mortifying Tendi. The Nosikins surround them, but Mariner throws a latinum in their faces and runs away with Tendi on the Cerritos. Boimler has reached the top of the Jeffrey's tube and is almost to the bridge, noting how it should be a simple trip from here on out. On the bridge, Tom Paris is welcomed by senior staff of the Cerritos, and Freeman agrees to let Paris have the con for a bit. With the engine starting, Boimler has to rush to leave the tubes as the corridor is filled with fire. Boimler tries to initiate an emergency shutdown, but the computer fails to recognize his authorization. 
I love that part. He's like, you don't need authorization for an emergency. (laughs) I'm like, I think I would probably be acting the exact same way. The computer does an eye roll, whatever. A moment later, the engines die down, and Boimler resumes his journey and retrieves his plate, which has survived unscathed. One of the more interesting, unbelievable aspects of the show is that plate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a hearty plate. When yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a, a collector's plate. I won't tell you what it was. <laughs> but as soon as I got it, delivered it all the way from Texas, I broke it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I called him up in Texas, and she's like, what? We'll send you another. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Ta'ana contacts Tendi, demanding to know where she is, and Tendi tells her that they're on their way back. Ta'ana yells at them to hurry. <laughs> Tendi is frustrated at their current situation, angry that she failed Ta'ana, and Mariner tries to reassure her that mistakes happen all the time and that she'll be right. Tendi, however, notes that as an Orion, it's harder for her to join the Academy. There's still a lot of stigma around Orions, noting that most humans will still still see them as nothing more than thieves and pirates. Or sexy. Yeah. This gives her an idea, however, as her cousin, Daani, appears to work in a thieves' den in a pirate... Out- oh, I wish they had that music for that. Yes. In a pirate outpost in a nearby sector, and might be able to help them out. Tendi notes, however, that these are the bad Orions, and they would kill Mariner on sight, and begins to temporarily transform Mariner's skin to resemble that of an Orion. Back on the Cerritos, Rutherford is trying to focus on his work, but the situation with Shaq's return is actively on his mind. Numerous possibilities perplex him, from Shaq's possibly having returned through the Mirror Universe, or having been put back together with the assistance of the Borg Collective, or having survived the Nexus, which is all pretty awesome and probably true in one way or another. <laughs> that was killing me, because it was like, wait, I know, am I supposed too. to try to file, follow all these and figure out who everybody is? And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unable to take the mystery anymore, he rushes to find Shax. At the Orion Pirate Outpost, Tendi and Mariner, now in full Orion attire, complete with a belly button. Yeah. <laughs> leave the sh- Gotta have that exposed midriff. Leave the shuttlecraft with the pose. Tendi says that Mariner's fake green disguise won't last very long, and they need find Da'ani quickly, locating him. Mariner's a bit surprised that Da'ani, Osman, is rather good-looking. <laughs> See? Tendi is surprised she has a thing for bad boys, and Mariner's note that she always dating bad kinds of people. Tendi never says she never noticed that since Mariner always seems to be around Boimler. Ooh. Da'ani sees Tendi and notes how if the Orion Syndicate catches him talking to her, there will be trouble. Before he can finish the sentence, Tendi strikes him and demands him to do what she tells him, making him submit to her demands. Like, wow. Whoa, where'd that come <laughs> I, from? <laughs> I know it. Holy smokes. Mariner asks about it, and Tendi notes how the behavior is specific to Orion's and that she's very uncomfortable about it. I'm like, this turned into like a dominatrix thing all of a sudden, oh, yeah, kissing her feet and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, can't... wait, isn't that her cousin? This is creepy. Tendi used to be so quiet, too. Anyway, Tendi <laughs> demands that Donny Osmond repair the libido pose, and Donny <laughs> complies, referring to as the mistress of winter constellations. Oh. Yep, dominatrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mariner is impressed with this side of Tendi, though Tendi is seemingly unsettled by this part of her. As they speak, Mariner's disguise starts to wear off, and Da'ani notices, demanding Tendi, tell her what's going on. Tendi suddenly kicks Da'ani, telling him to focus, though Mariner is confused that Da'ani calls her Davana, wondering if it was another title for her. Realizing that Mariner didn't know that Davana was her first name, despite serving with them for a year, the two get into an argument that the two didn't know each other, one another, as much as they should have, but Mariner's disguise wears off, and the other and Orion's attack her. 
That was a lot. It was. And it was like <laughs> very confusing. I'm like, I know nothing about Orion's apparently. <laughs> no, you're rich. Grabbing the post, Mariner and Tendi make their escape as the Orions are chasing them. They hide and Mariner asks why Tendi won't just demand them to stop. And Tendi's like, it doesn't work on an angry mob. <laughs> what? Not? Tendi's frustrated, which I can totally see. And Mariner just doesn't know anything about her. And it's like, I guess we weren't really close friends after all. So I guess we're just going to be two people who work on the same ship that are being chased by an angry mob and may (laughs) die here. But the two make their way over to the lifts, which, of course, are heavily guarded. And so instead, they see a weird little rat-like creature. And Mariner's like, guess we got to climb. I'm just thinking that post thing probably isn't that light. No. And they're climbing, <laughs> and there's got to be a better way. I wouldn't make brittle, it. I could, I could never do the rope climb in gym, so I would never be able to do this, so right. I'd be screwed. Yeah, it's a, it's a shuttle, transport. Right. Use the replicator to put the post back together. <laughs> like I said, blame it on storage. Exactly. Or turn it uh, into a bonsai tree. Yeah. <laughs> Back on the Cerritos, Boimler is crawling through the Jeffries tube and is suddenly trapped by the ship's computer. But not until he said, oh, that's fine. I know another way around. I know you better than you know yourself. (laughs) Oh, that was a bad move. Yep. (laughs) Lamenting his recent loss of position aboard the Titan and realizing the ship no longer knows who he is, he feels completely out of place. At that point, the Tom Paris on the plate comes to life and encourages him not to give up. You've been in tougher situations than this before. Yeah, just and last Boimler, week. Yeah, right. Boimler thinks the plate and opens up a panel to make his escape. And the Tom Paris plate notes that the fumes are likely affecting your head. I'm a little worried about you since, you know, you're talking to a plate. Yeah. <laughs> that I thought was just getting funnier and funnier as we're watching this happen. Back at the outpost, Mariner and Tendi are climbing the lifts with the bag that apparently is big enough for them to both carry at the same time between the lift. And what happens? It, of course, rips in half and pieces start to fall out. And then the Orion guard spot them and the attack is back on, people. Tendi reaches a door and opening it, gets through it and reaches down to help Mariner up. But as she grabs her hand, she's like, I can't pick you both up. I don't know what to do. And the Orions, which I don't understand this, are severing the rope that the girls are climbing. But From the bottom, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what good is that going to do? But that's also your lift. So what? <laughs> so since Tendi is not able to pick both Mariner and the the bag at the same time, which I was just thinking, put down your bag because you're already in. Yeah. In an area where you can leave it for a sec and use both hands, but whatever. Mariner's like, take the bag. And Tendi instead grabs the post and drops it to save Mariner. I'm like, oh, bonding. Girls trip. They reach the shuttlecraft in time and fly off before the Orion guards catch them. And what was it? The one that was it through an act? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. Is, it, is that like shooting at the airplane as it flies away? Yeah. <laughs> Back on the street, Shax enters a turbo lift and Rutherford not only rushes to catch up with him, but kind of like dives into the turbo lift. Like, okay, he can't handle it anymore. Finally alone with Rutherford, he says, I know I shouldn't ask, but I feel guilty. And if you just tell me how you came back, because I swear you gave your life to save me, maybe I won't feel guilty anymore. And you just see this like anxiety coming across 
Rutherford's face, which is really impressive for this animated face. Right. Shax halts the turbo lift and says, wasn't your fault for my death. It was my duty to save you, baby bear. I'm like, he threw in baby bear. Yep. Rutherford realizes that Shax can't tell him how he came back since he's likely just an ensign. And Shax is like, nope, that's not the reason. We don't tell you because we'd rather spare you on the dark truth about scientific depravity that would haunt you for the rest of your days. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, tell me more. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Like, really? Hmm, what else? What else is happening? So Shax begins to tell him everything. Everything. And as he gets further into detail, though, Rutherford begins to get more and more disturbed. <laughs> so we get to go back to the Jeffries tubes while we have poor Rutherford losing it. And we see an exhausted and torn uniform on Boimler. How did it get all jacked up? I mean, it was in one piece when he just missed the flames. And now, right, what? yeah. <laughs> Boimler tries to do a personal blog. But, of course, the computer is like, you are not recognized. <laughs> Frustrated that he's going to die alone in a Jeffrey's tube, he smashes the plate against the panel, which causes the panel beneath him to open. He falls onto the bridge with his plate that, as Dave said, is really hardy because it survived again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much to his surprise of the bridge crew. Boimler sees Paris and excitedly tells him how much he adores him. And Paris mistakes him as a Kazon and attacks him on the spot. Why do you think a Kazon was in the Jeffries tubes? Right. On, not in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. So, I don't know. This is weird. But we go back for a minute and we have Mariner and Tendi making their way back to the Cerritos. And Mariner has to thank Tendi for saving her life. And she also tells her, don't feel too bad about not knowing much about me because I tend to keep my personal life vague on purpose. You know, whenever I open up about my life, people tend to get promoted and leave. I'm like, oh, that's all sorts about Boiler, huh? Yep. <laughs> all sorts. That's kind of rough. But I prefer to keep things vague rather than opening up because I don't want to constantly lose friends. And that's Tendi funny. was really... I thought that was because she... Uh... Disobeyed orders no matter where she went. Yeah. <laughs> that, that too. I really feel like that was a, a, a problem, but what do you want? But Tendi was hoping that they would make a way between them so they can bond. But Mariner, you don't really know much about me either. So this trip was fun, kind of, sort of, but I really, I don't know. We didn't open up like we wanted. And by we, I mean Tendi. But Mariner knows about Boiler, and Tenny knows about Rutherford, so maybe at some point they can start working together. We can hope. Uh, yeah, well, hope yeah, for what you wish for. Us. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see more badass Tendi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. I want that. I, I do want that. But Mariner asks, what do you intend to tell Tana about the post? And Tendi's like, I'll be truthful, because that always works. <laughs> That'll be interesting to get in trouble for once, she says. Which I thought was funny because, yeah, we don't see her in trouble. It's always Mariner. Yeah. Yeah. Mariner, Mariner and Boimler get in trouble. Rutherford and Tindy don't. <laughs> yeah. But Mariner's like, you're a great person, but that plant sucks. And instead, she sets the shuttlecraft to ramming speed. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. I'm thinking a shuttlecraft against the Cerritos. Not the best of ideas. And as we go back, we see Paris still beating the snout out of Boimler on the bridge when the con officer alerts Freeman of an imminent shuttlecraft collision. However, when it collides, 
eh, it just kind of bounces off. It was like a fly hitting a window. It's like, What's that it's like, all about? Damage report. None. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the hangar, though, we see that the front of the shuttlecraft was a little messed up. And, of course, Ransom scolding Mariner about the collision. And Mariner decides to blame a bee. Really? A bee? <laughs> yeah. In space. <laughs> big B. It was a big B. Yeah. Big well, the two go back and forth. Tendi apologizes to Tiana for the destroyed libido post and tries to take responsibility. But Tiana simply grabs a box, empties the shattered remains, saying, I never cared about that post anyway. I just needed the box. Really? There was no other box right. on the whole ship. Anywhere. <laughs> the family box. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> she takes the box into sick bay and crawls into it. And experiences instant relief. Oh. Where you see the meow, yeah. meow, and the eyes get big. The we tail, were dying. The tail yes. wiggle. Yeah. Oh. Because then you see the two officers in there. And the one kind of like looking to the <laughs> side. What the hell? <laughs> I love that. That was just hilarious. Yeah. Mariner is sent to the brig, of course, for the collision. And Tendi is playing her and Rutherford. Some of the more Klingon acid punk favorites that she has. And Boimler enters revealing the ship finally recognizes me. He has a big old black eye from the beginning he got from Paris. <laughs> but as an apology, which again, I find this amusing as an apology, he decides he's going to take him for a drink and finally sign the plate. Okay. I just feel like there should have been more at that point, right. but, but Boiler's excited. So that's the little things for him. He starts heading out the door, hits the wall because it didn't open. And <laughs> Like, no, it's happening again. And they have to say, no, 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 that's just a seam in a wall. It's not the door. <laughs> and as he goes, oh, okay. And he moves over, walks up the door. He's like, I might have a concussion, too. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Tendi should have been like, hang on a second. Let me fix that. Uh, yeah. Tendi asked Rutherford if he ever found out how Shax came back. And Rutherford denies everything as he is sweating profusely, saying that he's likely just sparing us from horrible Horrible details. <laughs> Mariner denies this, saying the bridge crew are just a bunch of jerks before Tendi puts on a song about a Klingon who eats his own hand. Awesome. <laughs> Speaking of hand eating, and that's what I think I'll engage in some of that now. <laughs> Easter egg, boomer talk. Oh my goodness. Mariner mentions that the upgraded security on the Cerritos are responsible for Boimler being locked out of Replicator. This vaguely references the DS9 episode Inquisition and the Voyager episode Counterpoint, when it's made clear that people who are confined to quarters, i.e. security risk, can't use a Replicator. That kind of answers your question, John. Yep. The biggest running joke on... Say, say okay, Sean. Don't say okay, okay Sean. Sean. Yeah, I knew it. Oh. The biggest <laughs> running joke of this episode is easily the notion that Shax has come back to life and there's little or no explanation as to how. However, Mariner Borman do list several in a later scene, including transporter buffer thing like Scotty and TNG's relics, or a restored Katra, Spock in the search for Spock, but also Surak in the Forge from Enterprise, and a mirror universe switcheroo, love those, Jennifer and DS9's Through the Looking Glass, and perhaps more prominently, Giorgio in Discovery, starting with the wolf inside, not the war. <laughs> and then also the Borg 
rebuilt him. Neelix is saved by Seven's nanoprobes and boys. Yeah, I didn't say B-O-Y's. Boys, mortal <laughs> coil. Future son from an alternate timeline, Jake saves his father, Ben Sisko, in DS9's The Visitor. Maybe he's got the the Genesis device, which is like Spock from the Wrath of Khan. Search for Spock at all. And uh, there's a Nexus time ribbon. Same thing. Like Kirk, Picard, Soren, and Guinan in the Star Trek Generations. But we didn't bring up Ensign Kim. I was hoping right. Paris would have an Ensign Kim joke. Like, yes. oh, which, which one is that? Boimler men- mentions two holodeck programs written by Tom Paris, which were huge during the run of Voyager. Fairhaven was designated hologram Paris 042 and appeared in the episode Fairhaven and Spearfolk. The pulpy black and white holo program appears in 10 episodes of Voy and is essentially a blend of Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Beedy, beedy, beedy. Oh, that does t- save a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boimler <laughs> really? makes it clear that Tom Paris was only briefly turned into a salamander-like creature because he was the first human to break the transwarp barrier. <laughs> the reference Voy episode Threshold, in which Janeway and Paris become salamanders, is generally considered to be the worst Voyager episode of all time, and often one of the worst Star Trek ever, too. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. I do not. Yeah. That, I don't remember that. That really that makes me want to go back and, and look, watch it. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll say, hey, that was the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> but true fans loved it because of the fact that, because of that fact. Also, in the second time Lore's deck says reference threshold in Much Do About Boimler, Tendi and Boimler met one of those salamander looking creatures on the roots of the farm. That's right, they did. Yep. <laughs> Quailar 2 references the exact same location from the next generation to episodes Unification 1 and Unification 2. It's basically a big junkyard. While walking down the corridor, Boimler is humming the Jerry Goldsmith composed theme to Star Trek Voyager. Of course he is. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? I gotta rewatch this episode now. <laughs> Previously in season one, I know, it's like the show within the show, they're also they're always aware of their Star Trekiness. Yes. Some more than others, like especially Beckett. Yeah. Boimler was humming the TNG theme in the episode Temporal Edict which also composed by Jerry Goldsmith. It appears by the time of Lower Deck Season 2, roughly 2381, Quark seems to have a franchise of bars. On Quailar, we see a sign for Quark's bar, which seems to reference both Quark and Dia's sign, but also Quark's bar, we saw in the free cloud in Picard's Stardust City Rag. When that show's coming back, any idea? Any news, Wait, Steve? What? What? Yeah. Oh my God! How do I miss all of these? <laughs> well, don't watch it with your husband. Obviously, maybe you should just crawl I inside. Explain things. So. Yeah. Next time, just crawl inside a box and make a few scratches. <laughs> <laughs> In the same scene, we see a sign for the Zebulon sisters, who have a musical group Boimler Mariner went nuts for in Lower Deck Season One, Terminal Provocations. Tendi explains that Cations need to be intimate once a year and compares it like a Vulcan Ponfar, which, of course, references the seven-year mating cycles of Vulcans, which originates in the original series, Amok Time. Classic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was so many Easter eggs and talk that we have to split this. <laughs> Mariner says she once ran over Worf's Mechleth on DS9. That's the curved weapon that Worf started using on DS9, the way of the warrior, and prominently in first contact. When Tendi asked Mariner what she was doing on DS9, she's like, I served there. Back before I was on the Quito? Is that how you say that ship? I don't remember. Quito. This would have put Mariner serving on DS9 sometime after 2372, when Worf arrives on DS9 in Way of the Warrior, 
But before 2375, with Worth leaves the DS9 <laughs> on what you leave behind. Okay, the fact that we have these years is killing me. Yes. <laughs> Either way, it's between nine and six years before lower deck. Mariner also says that Cerritos is like my fifth shift. That means that the dating of Mariner's flashback scene for DS9 in the episode Cupid's Errant Arrow is even more confusing. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Something can mm. get more confusing. <laughs> Color me surprised. Mariner knows a fixer at Bonstell, and why do I feel like that's like Bonnaroo? Or Bonsai. <laughs> when they arrive, they're told this is Starbase Earhart. All of this references the Next Generation episode Tapestry, in which we learned a young Jean-Luc Picard hung out on this planet before shipping out. Bontel is the bar and recreation area of Starbase Earhart. Tendi and Mariner playing Dom Jot with the Nausicans also re- references Tapestry. Are you kidding me? I swear nope. I have to watch all of this all over again, not just this, like every, every episode, because it's crazy. There's so many. When Mariner suggests that Tendi uses her pheromones, Tendi objects saying, I'm not even that kind of Orion, which had me questioning what the hell kind of Orion is. Are you? And no, we found out. Whoa. <laughs> Because this references the Enterprise episode Bound, in which we learn that Orion's slave women are actually not slaves, but secretly manipulating all the males in their society through pheromones. The famous Orion pheromones originated in the original series pilot with the not that kind of Orion reference. This could also reference the film Star Trek 2009, in which Ohura is roommates with an Orion. So many. (laughs) What was the name? Gala? Gala? I don't remember how you say her name. I feel like it's been so long since I've seen that episode or that movie. Yep. It's Um, been a while. She didn't appear to be that kind of Orion either, but eh, you know, <laughs> uh, not that kind of Orion may also reference the animated series episode, The Pirates of Orion, in which everyone randomly pronounces it. Oh, my gosh. When you guys are going to have to instead Orion. of Orion Orion oh, yeah. goodness. for no clear reason. Except somebody read something weird. Yep. Robert Duncan McNeil reprises his role as Tom Paris for the first time since the final episode of Voy. Ed came. Paris is rocking the first contact style uniform, which is also something new since the Voy crew were stuck in the old duds while they were in the Delta Quadrant. Catching up. That's so much stuff. In Rutherford's Nightmare, there are multiple, multiple shaxes. From across the multiverses of his imagination. This scene is so densely packed with Easter eggs, it's possible to miss several. Which, of course, I did, but Steve and Dave have found. (laughs) So thanks to them, I will tell you what they found. Mirror Universe Shacks saying, I fought my way out of the multiverse. He's wearing the gold Terran Empire vest Kirk wore in the original series, Mirror Mirror. Borg Shacks, which I, of course, caught that one. Tiny Dyson Spear Shack, another reference to Next Generation's relics. Shacks as Lincoln, which that kind of had me questioning. But <laughs> it's a reference to original series, the Savage Curtain, which was also referenced last week, if you well, remember. They're never going to let the Lincoln thing go. That's no. Gonna be, that's there all <laughs> no. the time. Shacks in the original series, red uniform. Shacks in an Enterprise-era engineering uniform. Possibly a reference to Trip's death in Enterprise Finale. Those are the voyages. Shaxx is Neelix. Wait, what? Yeah. Is that the spotted suit? What was the deal with T'Pol's hair? I 
half-heard line from Shax, clearly a reference to T'Pol shifting Vulcan haircut in Enterprise. Hey, just keeping up with the times. In the Nexus, it's always Christmas. Another <laughs> reference. I heard that and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Another reference to the time-bending energy ribbon, the Nexus in Generations, the reference Picard's weird fake Christmas in the ne- Nexus. I don't remember that and I remember the weird ribbon thing. So yeah. I must like be blocking stuff at this point. <laughs> Mariner has no idea Tendi's first name is Devana, which I don't know. Do we yeah. know that? Yeah. We did? Oh. We've known that remember. since the beginning. Okay. Well, I'm horrible because I guess I'm just like like uh, <laughs> Mariner because I did not know. But she just assumed it was like a one name thing like Odo. I really wish you would <laughs> went like, or you know, like ancient earth Madonna or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and reference to everyone's favorite shape-shifting constable from DS9, Odo. Tendi says that her first name in the, oh, she does say her first name, sorry, in yes. the very first episode of Lower Deck, Second Contact. And we see her name signed on the screen in Mariner's holodeck program in Crisis Point. But it's possible it's never been spoken out loud in a scene that Mariner has been in, even though they're animated. Eh, it's a thing. Yep. This joke could reference the idea that Sulu and Ohura both did not have first names spoken on screen until much, much later in the canon. <laughs> in fact, in Star Trek 2009, it's a running joke that Kirk does not know Ohura's first name until Spock calls her Yoda, which I don't remember that name. (laughs) I mean, I remember it from the movie. Right. But like from the series, I do not for the life of me remember them ever saying her first name. Yep. Probably didn't. No, I think it did, but it was so deep into the series, it was easily forgotten. And then I swear in the movie, they kind of like almost whisper it so you can't really hear it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like Skipper's name on Gilligan's Island. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, they say his name? Okay, wait. Whole nother rabbit hole. Never mind. (laughs) While crawling through the Jeffrey tubes, Boimler says, nobody knows this Doritos like Bradward Boimler. And he gets smacked in the head by a closing hat. Probably referencing Scotty in Final Frontier when he says, I know this ship like the back of my head. Then runs into a bulkhead and passes out. (laughs) I can totally see Boimler doing that. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I love Boimler, though. He's funny. Shax refers to Rutherford as Baby Bear, which I did say earlier. But this references the first season Envoys, which Rutherford had briefly considered a job in security. At that point, all the security officers called themselves bears and Rutherford baby bear. When Shax saved Rutherford in no small parts, he bellowed, I've got you, baby bear. (laughs) I still think that's so funny. (laughs) The Kazon, which this, again, another thing which I was like, what the hell? The Kazon were the primary villain. (laughs) I shouldn't do this. In Boy's first few season. And yes, Boimler did kind of look like that. Nobody misses them. <laughs> How, if it's the first few seasons, am I not remembering them? Maybe I really didn't get into it till later seasons. Yeah, must have, because they were there. Were those the guys that had the permanent disease? Or is that somebody else? They're lower, yeah, like, that faces? was the phage. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the phage. Yeah. Oh, my God. They were awesome. Do you have the list of all of them, Steve? Are you cheating? <laughs> no. He has a whiteboard up with all the villains for all of them. They were like Pizza the Hut where things were, like, dripping off them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay so i'm putting this out before i finish this if anybody wants to stump steve and dave on like <laughs> old villains and stuff send something in because i don't know any of them obviously 
But last thing, last Easter egg, when Mariner puts the shuttle on a collision course to the Cerritos, she says, ramming speed. <laughs> this feels like a reference to Worf in First Contact. Hell, maybe Mariner was on the Defiant in First Contact. We don't know. Anything's possible. I mean, if she served on DS9, she could have easily served on the Defiant, right? There you go. (laughs) There was a lot in here, and I swear, this just makes me want to, like, know more. And I know somebody who's, like, a huge Star Trek fan. Right. And I swear I I need to have him come on here just so you guys can stump him. (laughs) Because I feel like you still will know way more than he does. I think you could totally stump people. (laughs) But I want somebody to stump Stephen Dave. So send something into us. Well, any more thoughts on this episode or are we tuckered out? I think we're tuckered (laughs) out. (laughs) Long tied at this point. All right. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Lower Decks podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you like our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. And there are so many of the podcasts. And Dave, Steve, and I are on several, and then we mix it up. But it's so much fun, and I basically want you to listen to the things that you like so you can stump these guys with trivia. (laughs) They stump me all the time, so send stuff in. And go check out www.fangirlzone.com. Contacts page is there so you can send them your stumping questions. Mm -hmm. In closing, the fourth episode is on September 2nd, getting closer to football time, and is titled Multiple (laughs) Question Marks. Why? Because we don't know what it is. So until then, remember. I know. Good grief. So until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve. You don't need an authorization in an emergency. (laughs) This is Sean Fangirl S. Yes, I've been promoted. And this is Red Shirt Dave, and there's something you don't know about me. I. I I have a false green libido spear.